Okay, so welcome back to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank, and we're getting cracking again today, joined by Dave once again. How are you, Dave? Oh, I'm in good form. Looking forward to speaking to Chris. Very good. That's it. And uh, yeah, there we are. We've, we're happy to have back with us once again, Chris Sharp of Liberation Times. How are you doing, Chris? Hi, mate. I'm really good, thanks. Good to see you and Dave. Uh yeah, it's just like talking to mates, really, isn't it? Uh, yeah, love it. That's it. We're just about just about to head into the festive part of the year, so it's like a bit of a get-together with some old pals before the festive season begins. Eh? <laughs> and hey, I, t- I tell you what, just by an absolute sheer coincidence, um, today is actually the anniversary of the Nimitz case, the 14th of November wow. 2004. So a little bit of trivia before we wow. kick off there. I couldn't oh, believe it. I, was, yeah, I just so happened to be... Uh, doing a little bit of research earlier on and uh, meant, you know, I wrote something down about the Nimitz case and I was like, you know, I'm sure that would have been a similar time. Anyway, it turns out it's the exact day, um, however many years ago that would have been. What, so almost 19 years, isn't it? My maths uh, hasn't failed me. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, you're right, it is. <laughs> it's good. good job we're not a maths podcast, isn't it? I know, the yeah. time it took us there. <laughs> but, uh... But anyway, um, yeah, so just a, 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 the amount of times I go on about that case and how obviously important of a case it actually is, a uh, nice little coincidence that we're recording on, on the uh, anniversary of that case. So, yeah, so yeah let's, um, let's get straight into uh, this, this new UFO sort of like case um, our photograph in particular uh, that, that's been released today. Um, I know obviously you've done an article on this as well, Chris. So I'll do a little bit of a summary of what's been going on with it all, and um, then we can discuss it. So as it says uh, in your article, uh, Chris, in Liberation Times, uh, in 2021, the UK's Royal Air Force, RAF, intercepted an object which was initially thought to be a a potential terrorist drone uh, above Syria. And there was actually a Five Eyes uh, intelligence report generated months uh, after the event itself, which classified the object as um, a UFO or unidentified aerial phenomena. Um, So obviously the case, uh, or or not obviously if anybody wasn't aware, um, has been brought forward to the public by Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp on their weaponized podcast. And some people are calling it the, the mushroom the jellyfish, um, Kermit the Frog. There's nev- no end of uh, creative names for UFO cases whenever one gets brought out. Um, it's fair to say, I think, that this um, photograph is not exactly a crystal clear HD image, uh, you know, kind of far from it, but it is made interesting by the background information, I think, is the key point. You know, as so- something that I've talked about quite a lot is that if you went for the, um, the Nimitz case, um, that we're on the anniversary of today and you went off just the video for that case, it wouldn't be a lot to, to talk about. But if you go off the background information, it's a completely different picture that emerges. So obviously this is a quite a blurry image of, of whatever it was that was shot at uh, by the RAF. And um, it seems also to be the image that 
uh, Jeremy Corbell had mentioned on the Joe Rogan podcast uh, a little while back. I think he said it looked like a mushroom or something when he was on that podcast, and I was interested to see if anything came out, and lo and behold, uh, here we are. So I'd be interested to see uh, what you guys think. Obviously, it has just come out today, so uh, I, for one, am still kind of digesting the information. Uh, Chris, I'm sure you're obviously pretty familiar with a lot of the aspects i've written your article about it and whatnot so any sort of general thoughts on the case and the significance of it and perhaps even the fallout chris what do you reckon yeah i i think the first and i think this is so important to the uap conversation right now because people don't seem to understand the actual language that we're speaking anymore and I think language and definitions are like really, really important. And people, a lot of people just don't get the basic concepts, unfortunately. So um, UAP, um, uh, in terms of um, the US government, it's kind of defined as something that's not immediately identifiable. You know, So that could mean that these things, as does happen, are later identified as you know, um, terrorist drones or um, surveillance platforms. So I think that's really, really important to get across, you know, um, when it comes to these. And, you know, when I'm reporting a story like this, first and foremost, in my mind is not like an alien probe from Mars or whatever, you know. Um, I'm thinking, well, we just don't know what they are. And, you know, if you're operating in the Middle East and somewhere like that, a conflict zone, and you don't know what's flying around, you know, and, and you can't keep track of these things anymore because there's so many of them after 15 years, which is happening to CENTCOM, you know, because there's so many of them now, it's just become very, very difficult to track every single one. Um, uh, th then th that is a major, major problem that you have on your hands, you know. Um, uh, j just in terms of a safety perspective, especially now that you've got um, a war in the Middle East and you've got Hezbollah active, you've got Daesh active, and other actors as well, you know. So if you've got a situation like that occurring, um, uh, that's a problem. And this Five Eyes report was kind of like generated specifically for the UAP topic. It was kind of like a cry for help, you know. It's kind of like, what do we do? We just don't know what these things are. Um, so so I, I, I think this is the issue at hand, you know. A lot of people, you know, were very, very visual, you know, and like, People will just look at the photograph and then kind of like they won't read the story in the context or anything like that. Um, God bless them. But, um, you know, but the actual fact is this is a very, very serious story, you know, especially in terms of the context of this event. You know, I mean, you guys may remember back in December 2021, it was all over the news, you know, that the RAF, the UK RAF had engaged a, um, a terrorist drone over Syria. You know, do you remember that? The first, you know, um, engagement since the Falklands, you know, that was a really, really big deal. Um, and it was announced through RAF press release and um, everyone was talking about it. The BBC was reporting it and the Telegraph was reporting it. Everyone was, you know. Um, so now we, what we have is we have um, a contradiction. So we have a, a Five Eyes intelligence report that was generated months after this event actually occurred and this object that was um, shot down uh, and by the way there were two objects which didn't actually put in the article because i just wanted to flow and concentrate on this particular object but there were two objects um the other one kind of um, got away from um uh, the, the the raf typhoon but um you know they, they were spotted and um the raf you know um shot 
this object down, according to what they say, with a, an Azram missile. Um, so the, the contradiction is that, you know, why did the MOD slash RAF say that this is a terrorist drone? Um, but the Five Eyes report, generated months later when they're able to actually assess what this thing may have been, referred to it as a UAP. And, and that's really, really crucial, I think, because, you know, I think the US have a different attitude to us, Brits, you know, they, they don't they don't take BS, you know, they don't take it from their government. And they're a lot more inquisitive, they're a lot more proactive. And us Brits, you know, we, we just kind of like, we don't really care as much, you know, the government can get away with a lot more stuff here than they can in the US, you know, um, about scrutiny from the electorate. And um, I feel that we're being taken advantage of, I really, really do. Um, so I mean, I spoke to the MOD today. And, um, you know, this information is obviously being exposed to Jeremy Corbell. And that's how he's been able to get hold of this image, obviously, which shows this um, purported UAP. And, um, you know, the MOD is sticking with its line. They're not, they're not changing their line. Um, however, I do have intelligence from a defense source from the UK basically stating that this was an assessment at the time, a best assessment, basically, that this was a terrorist drone. So, you know, this wasn't positively identified as such. Um, uh, and from my understanding, nothing was recovered as well. There was no recovery team that's gone in there. Um, so you, you can't identify it, you know. It, you know, it doesn't rule out the fact that it might be a drone, you know. It, it may very well have been a drone. Or, or it could have been, you know, some other kind of like unmanned aerial system. Um, but I, I think the wider conversation is that the, the UK government basically has assessed that there's no threat from UAP. Uh, well, actually, you know, this report says otherwise, you know, because as I said before, unknown, you know, that could be drone, that could be balloon, that could be non-human, it, it could be weather phenomena, but it's very, very important, especially in a day and age where drones are more frequent, foreign surveillance is more frequent, and I get the feeling that state actors such as China can actually exploit the stigma by actually getting away by, with conducting um, surveillance operations, you know, and, and people won't question it if they see something weird in the sky. And, and I think that's the topic at hand here, you know, and um, as a UK citizen and taxpayer, it really, really upsets me that, that we're so behind the US, you know, because not only is the US looking to uncover potential non-human intelligence, but by doing that as well, they're able to actually make their own backyard more secure by actually identifying possible threats <laughs> that may not be non-human in nature. And um, I think the UK needs to kind of um, get ahead on this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's a point that that I've made um, many times that you know this isn't one of them things where unknown objects in the sky, are all drones or all alien spacecraft, it's kind of all in the same box of unknown stuff. And the more we sort of take that seriously as something that needs to be looked into, and you know, something that the public are curious about, because a, a, a small percentage of these objects that are unknown have really unusual characteristics and could represent something of, of non-human intelligence. And um, the more we take the whole lot seriously, looking into one has a knock-on effect on on the other, and we need to know more about both, don't we? It's not like we're just going to go, oh, some of them are adversarial drones potentially, so forget it. It's all good. Never mind then. It's like, well, surely that's more reason to look into it rather than to, to start ignoring it, you know? Um, what are your thoughts on it all, Dave? 
I, I thought the case was amazing, to be honest with you. I mean, it's very rare you get that. I know the picture wasn't sort of HD, but you could clearly see it was like a mushroom shape, an odd shape, a bit like one of those things Lakatsky was talking about. Clearly tying that takedown, showing it was a lie, but it was a drone. Yeah, I mean, you don't often, it's, re it's really good. So you just wonder how long the MOD can keep up this sort of archaic line that they keep going with. They just obviously doubled down and said, just, they haven't gone with the American trend at all. So I think they're just sailing into trouble with this line because they're going to end up looking pretty stupid soon in 20, when things start coming out. I mean, you think about the MPs. The MPs, they're told there was not to give the standard line, oh, it's of no significance. They give it the constituents' spouse. Oh, loads of MPs have lied to the constituents now. They've been lying to the politicians. It's very, very serious, you know. And as Chris was saying, it's quite a credible air threat. And it, it, I don't think the line's credible, really. But it, this is like smoking gun proof for me. So I, I thought it was really very significant. And what was interesting was the Five Eyes report saying that there was increasing encounters over UAP in Syria. And I believe from your story, Chris, it said Central Command report arising in sightings over 15 years in all theatres, and particularly in the Middle East. I mean, I wonder if there's some kind of uh, base there in the Middle East, some alien or whatever other base, NHI base, whatever you want to call it, because there's a load of activity. You've had done a couple of stories, Chris, over the years with activity there, people spotting them. Clearly, these craft like or congregate around war zones, and they've done it since Roman times, we've heard that, but I wonder if now they're looking at, there's more of a threat for them, what's happening. They always track nuclear craft and all the rest of it. And it, I think that they do do a lot of tracking of these these conflicts now. So, uh, it, and that comes back to the point, if you can't say it's of no significance, when clearly, like you say, it's a powder keg there, something could go wrong. I mean, they were talking about that American case, which we'll maybe get onto it on the, what's it called, the uh, George Knapp's podcast, Weaponized where they were, they were going to fire that big, you know, that Gatling gun they've got to stop missiles coming on a ship, but they couldn't because they were going to knock something else out of the sky. And so you can easily see how the typhoon in this case could have, uh, you know, could have hit uh, something else and started a war, hit a Russian plane or something. It was over Syria. So I thought it was uh, amazing, really. Uh, the, the other thing I thought as well, that interestingly, is, Remember, Grush was saying uh, in that, yeah, I think it was the Yes interview, he said they're not quite as advanced as we think. They're advanced in some areas, maybe not in others. And remember, we were able to take down that Canadian object over Alaska. You know, the one over Alaska, sorry, it's not Canadian, the one over Alaska. And that's rumoured to be, you know, a UAP, you know, on NHI. And I wondered if that linked to that, in that we were able to take it down, because it's clearly not a drone looking at it. And I think the picture's clear enough to see that. Uh, and I was thinking again of the Canadian politician, Larry Maguire, and that linked to the Five Eyes report evidence and how they're all working on this. And this report clearly shows that relationship. So a lot of things about this case show the relationships that developed and really show, if you're playing spin the bottle, it'd be pointing at uh, the UK government, wouldn't it? And, they'd, you know, they've got no trousers on in this case because it's pretty caught them out. Can yeah. I just cut, can come back? I would point out that, um, I mean, this was dispatched to protect Al Tanf Air Base, um, which is in Syria. So it's a, a it's a base where the U.S. has been conducting operations against yeah. um, Daesh forces, um, yeah. and that base has 
come under attack many, many times from terrorist drones. Um, even recently, um, there was a number of personnel that were hurt. Um, but, but I think that, you know, like let, let's play the scenario where we do have potential non-human intelligences that we've seen the Mosul orb, we've seen other objects, which look really, really strange over the Middle East. You know, we've got ODNI people saying that you'll see it like an orb and it just bolts off. Um, so let's imagine a case where you may have, um, you know, non-human intelligences, let's say, or unknown intelligences operating in the same theater as you've got, you know, terrorist drones from Hezbollah, uh, Daesh, yeah. Russians. Uh, uh, just, uh, this is why it's so, so important to kind of like get on top of this situation because like you were saying, if you did fire on something that was something you weren't supposed to fire on, then that's going to cause some real problems. Absolutely. And I would also point out as well that, you know, Jeremy alluded to a Russian craft that apparently went after a UAP in the region and never came back. So, um, yeah, yeah that's scary. Yeah. You know as well, though, Chris, that the SALT Treaty, Grush talked about the SALT Treaty in 71, and that had something about they were worried about misidentifications of UAP. There was stuff in the 60s that nearly started an exchange coming over the North Pole, nine craft. So there's been lots of instances, I'm sure there's loads of them, loads of instances of mis mistakes and, you know, this sort of thing happening. Uh, and like you say, it is a powder keg with a Russian so near to American forces. Uh, I mean, and you know, I don't think the Russians are looking for a fight at the moment, but that could change rapidly, couldn't it? But I, the the case itself is, it's real. I don't, I don't think I'm surprised. Uh, people should see how important it is. I think we're a bit spoiled these days. But as Frank was saying, it's got all these different attributes. You, that's the thing about a good case; you can match it up. And you know, this is really quite important. So, uh, and you're not going to get pristine. It's not going to be like watching netflix and all the rest of it this is sort of real life and it's i think it's real i thought it was really significant and again yeah. it's yet another nudge to the british government anyway but they need to do they need to do something the first time since the falklands he was saying wasn't he george we'd fired in anger Absolutely. and dave and frank let me, let me just touch on one more thing sorry so um i emailed the mad last night for comment um about 10 p.m and they only got back to me like 3 p.m. today. So obviously they were taking their time. They were talking about it. They were assessing their response. And in the end, they took the cautious approach to it by not going further than what they had already released. Um, so I think, I think that's important. You know, there was a conversation ongoing. I think the RAF was talking about it from what I was hearing. Um, and I'd also point out as well that I've contacted a lot of politicians offices today as well. And um, I can confirm that there are some staffers that were, were, were aware of the story. So uh, it's good to know that um, people within Parliament are uh, keeping their eye on this story. Yeah. Well, I, I wrote to my MP, uh, and I, I know him relatively, not dead well, but I do know him and he knows me. And uh, he took it seriously. He didn't laugh at it. And they've been briefed in Parliament, so he knew about it. Because I, I wrote him a big, long email. I said, oh, they're telling me, Grush, it's none of it can be corroborated. Then I started this chain about the level of corroboration. And he said he he connected it himself uh, to, to the to the sort of incompetence of the government on one level and then the fact they're being lied to and then the, the whole approach to national security and it was tied into the government and MOD cuts and having a lax approach. So I think they know a bit and they're starting to think about what is the line and that'll be how it enters into the mainstream because it's one thing that is the same is politicians don't like being lied to. Than lying to the constituents on the thinking they've been told the truth. 
Yeah, I think it's fair to say nobody likes being lied to, but uh, particularly, <laughs> <laughs> particularly perhaps you know people, politicians when they when they're sort of the job and the, the the next sort of move depends on being told the truth and whatnot. It's very important, but I think I, I was thinking this is is perhaps more significant in terms of the things that we've just been discussing. It's more significant perhaps to people from the UK who are a bit more familiar with what the uk mod have been like on this topic in the past you know like the american government are pretty forthcoming about things relative to to what we have over here and i don't think anyone was really saying in your article chris or on the weaponized podcast that this is definitive proof of a piece of non-human technology it's just an interesting unknown and what it represents is you know clear proof of military engagement with an with an unknown essentially you know it's it's kind of a, a, a particularly key point uh, since the UK MOD have, have said over and over again that there is no threat to national security. And, and what this is essentially doing is proving that there has been a pretty recent um, kinetic engagement, I believe they refer to it as, um, with an unknown object. You know, that's pretty significant yeah. in itself, really, isn't it? Especially as, as it relates to the UK MOD. So do you... Um, do you envision any change in their position uh, as a result of, of, of this case and, and perhaps other cases like this coming out in the future? What do you reckon, Chris? So I'd firstly say as well, I'd also add that, look, there have been, um, there have been attempts to like uh, jam some of these craft uh, and take them down, and they, those have failed. Um, according to the Five Eyes Intelligence Report, those attempts have failed. Um and from my understanding, that's happening on a frequent basis. So, look, again, if you're playing a devil's advocate, you know, that these things are eluding, um, you know, the greatest military on Earth and uh, immune to their attempts to take them down. I mean, that's a, that's a major problem that you've got there, isn't it? Uh, but, yeah, in terms of the UK, um, yeah, I suspect that we're going to catch up quite soon. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are efforts behind the scenes to kind of get their dots in a row and um, start preparing for the conversation because um, from my understanding, I, I think we're going to get confirmation in some way next year. Um, uh, so uh, watch out for that. But yeah, there, there's, we are, I think next year is going to be a huge, huge year. And uh, yeah, let, let's see what happens. But I think we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to have some pretty cool things happening. Um, you know, this is like, you know, we've got this new story come out today, but this is just the start, you know, I think this week's going to be very, very interesting. And I think next week may be very, very interesting as well. I think, uh, yeah, I think someone that, someone said that it's going to be naughty November or something like that in terms of UAP. And uh, <laughs> I tend to agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, there's also this, um, uh, the the uh, skiff uh, briefing, I believe, the, the next part of that is going to be on Thursday morning, if I remember rightly. I think it's the 16th. There's quite a few interesting things to keep an eye on, but um, whatever it is that you're alluding to there, Chris, I'll definitely be keeping my eye out on what goes on. But yeah, it's, it's very interesting this this UK aspect of it because I've I've done my fair share of fire requests, and you know we all know what you get back is that sort of typical statement, isn't it? The copy and paste um, about the the MOD having no opinion on extraterrestrial life and all the rest of it, and it just seems you know something from 1995 at this point doesn't it you know the world's moved on and the uk mod i think need to catch up and uh and actually sort of you know get with the times as it were um you know it's th there's all of these 
pretty clear collaborative efforts over the years with the US. I mean, we're pretty much the closest ally with the US, you know, the special relationship and all the rest of it. And we know from all the various information that's come out about OSAP and ATIP and all the rest of it that, that those programs have actually collaborated with counterparts you know, with allies. So more than likely or almost certainly that means the UK and various other um five eyes allies. So we'll see. We'll see how it all goes. There may, are we gonna get a change to that sort of copy and paste MOD response? Um we'll see. I'm a- I mean, I think just finally before we get off this, I think it's, it's sort of a case of no UAP, please. We're British, isn't it? It's that sort of thing. We, I wonder how the British psyche sort of deals with this subject because we sort of like to be self-deprecating, feet on the ground, nobody could believe in that. And I think that comes out in our cultural response to UAP. And I think it's it a modern makes it thing. Out. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. it's a modern thing. Like you think back like to... To you know, because we've got modest and stuff like that, but you hop back to the the Victorian era, you know, there's a different kinds of uh, yeah. people that you had back then. You know, they're adventurous. They'd go out and build the first railways and stuff like that, and yeah. they were really relieving the world. You know, us British were, and I think that somehow we've just fallen into this culture of moderation, not going too far, and. Uh, yeah, I think from the government's perspective as well, in terms of this stuff, um, overwhelming secrecy in yeah. terms of the official secrecy acts and stuff like that. The fact they go after journalists and, you know, they're able to withhold evidence and stuff like that they've got. It's just, it's crazy. It really, really is. As I said before, our government gets away with a lot of rubbish, you know, and we have a high tolerance for it in this country. And, um, yeah, I feel that the culture needs to change. Um, and, uh, and that includes on the UAP issue as well. Yeah, yeah. Imagine Boris right. announcing it. That would have been quite amusing, wouldn't it? But anyway, go on. Well, if you look, actually, <laughs> David Cameron's now going to be the Foreign Secretary. Ah, yeah, if yeah. If you look at the Schumer um, Rounds Amendment, it basically states that um, the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, will have to start coordinating with his foreign counterparts so yeah, yeah you could yeah. you could potentially uh yeah. you know see some coordination between blinken yeah. and cameron on the uap issue well they'd be more emollient wouldn't even most of them imagine rishi sunak doing it and his wooden performance here that's terrible but cameron would pull it off pretty well actually anyway sorry we digress <laughs> yeah anyway, anyway let, let's let's move uh away from the uk aspect of things and uh we'll we'll take a little trip across the pond eh so um uh obviously as we know dr sean kirkpatrick uh has has now finally decided to announce that he's moving on after i don't know how many months now it's been speculated that he was going to do but um it's been a long time i know um you know yourself chris in your articles and various other folks have been speculating and, and hearing that that he was on the way out and now he's 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 basically confirmed to being on the way out so um the Aldermain Anomaly Resolution Office, Arrow, um, he reckons Sean Kirkpatrick does that it's mission accomplished and he's he's going to ride off into the sunset. Um, if it was Operation Muddy the Waters, I would agree <laughs> that he's done very well. Um, but I am obviously being daft there, but you know, I think it's safe to say that a lot of people are not exactly thrilled with Arrow recently and Kirkpatrick's a stint as director not least the you know many of the people who've actually gone to our role to give testimony and whatnot and certainly a lot in the ufo community started off quite positive and i don't think there's many left that are positive about it um so uh 
Chris, any any word on possible replacements and, and how mm. do you feel it goes from here in terms of our role? Yeah, so they've got like five around five people in mind for the role. Um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, 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 I'm a bit may when it comes to um, Arrow now because, you know, if the NDAA does get passed, you're talking about like a new... Um, uh, a new kind of like um, organization in terms of nine member panel um, uh, review board, I think it's called, isn't it? Um, who are going to have a lot of powers to co like, disclose information um, and, you know, potentially kind of like be able to disclose the fact that some contractors do have materials of unknown origin. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a surprise that Kirkpatrick was going. There's been a lot of rumors for a long time. And, um, yeah, I, I would just always point out that I didn't get a response and I didn't get a denial um, about allegations that the Arrow does have in its possession materials of unknown origin. I think that's really, really, really important because unknown origin, that appears in the Schumer-Brown's Amendment. Um, so I think you can be hearing more of that, that kind of like term. Um, in, in, in the future in terms of unknown origin, because I think it refers to um, technologies of unknown origin, but of biologics of non-human origin um, uh, within the actual bill. And I think that's, that's really, really important <laughs> in terms of that. Um, so, yeah, like, um, yeah, back to Kirkpatrick and the air, it wasn't a real surprise to me. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I was really, really quite angry, you know, because um, it just... I mean, like, that's fine. Like, Susan Goff has to do her job, you know, and she wasn't exactly denying that he was going to go in the future um, when I asked her about it. Um, but um, in terms of um, not the DOD, but another US agency, um, I'm not very happy with them because they completely lied to my face um, because I asked the question whether they had appointed a deputy director for the Arrow. As, as you could see from the National Defense Authorization Act, the Director of National Intelligence needs to appoint a deputy director with an IC background, an intelligence community background. And I had asked the question, let's say, from a US agency, um, spoken to him on the phone, basically saying, look, can you confirm if the deputy director's been appointed yet? And I was given the answer, no. And then the next day, Politico comes out with the article about Kirkpatrick um, leaving the Arrow and about its uh, deputy director um, taking over, um, who's Timothy Phillips. And this is a really, really worrying thing for me in terms of where the Arrow's gone since Hicks took ownership of the Arrow oversight. And by the way, you will notice as well that Stacey Dixon um, of the ODNI has oversight as well, but she hasn't made a big song and dance about it like Hicks has. Um, just quite disappointing because OD and I need to take ownership of this issue as well because they're just as culpable when it comes to this. Um, um, but yeah, I, I was lied to. And, and it seems to me that the disturbing aspect is that there's a new comms approach whereby they're feeding, um, in my mind, friendly journalists who rely on the stream of news from, from the DOD um, to come into them to actually keep their business model up. And they're pr providing information to them first. So Defence Scoop got the first version of the Arrow report before everyone else, for example. That's not fair for journalists. 
I don't think that's right. Um, and that was the same publication as well that was given the exclusive access to Hicks when she took oversight of the, of, of the Arrow. That That is not fair. That is not fair in terms of um, how the DoD is doing that. That's really, really dirty because they're getting primary definition of the story from a friendly, friendly um, news outlet to escape scrutiny. Um, and then what will happen is once that publication puts a story out there, others will copy them and take the lead. Um, so that's really, really important to take into account. And I get the feeling that they denied that there was a deputy director and lied to my face because they wanted Politico to get the scoop. And I, and I get the feeling that goes into their new comm strategy. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point, and I'm glad you mentioned that because it's something I've been thinking about a little bit as well. Um, it, it's quite clear, isn't it, that there's a, a a kind of a coordinated approach being taken, as you say, like the first article that comes out about a story, all, a lot of other copycat kind of news organisations around the world and blogs and all the rest of it, they all kind of take sort of clips and quotes from the original article and it seems as though there's a real effort being made to control the narrative in that way you reckon that's what's going on where they're trying to kind of get ahead of when a report comes out or an announcement about sean kirkpatrick leaving and things like that and they'll specifically kind of you know shape a news story with a sort of like a favored you know outlet kind of thing first of all so that they can get ahead of it and sort of preempt any any of the stories that go out there yeah, correct. You know, in Liberation Times, we were invited to the, um, the round table with Moultrie and Kirkpatrick back in December, you know, and we managed to ask two really, really good questions in that one that were reported by other media as well. Since we've not been, um, we, we've not been invited back, unfortunately, but I get the feeling that if we're a bit more friendly to the, uh, the Pentagon on that issue, we, we would have got an invite back. Um, so yeah, it's really disappointing to see. Um, it's trying to escape scrutiny. It's trying to escape transparency. It doesn't want any question, difficult questions asked. And, and that's just really, really disappointing, you know, because a lot of the stories that have come out from people like myself and Ross have been actually proven true. Um, so yeah, we've got a good track record on this. And, um, unfortunately, because we're more, more, you know, more hostile towards the arrow, I guess, and we're more critical. We provide it scrutiny they don't want the questions from us, you know, um, in terms of those events. Um, nonetheless, I, I'd also temper that by saying that Susan Goff's, you know, been really good to me and she provides me exclusives still. Um, so if, I, I can't fault her. So for example, you know, she confirmed to me that the ARI will be publishing details about a transmedium case. Um, so, you know, I was able to, um, to confirm, confirm that and a few other pieces of, um, information as well is that the flying ferrari case is it chris they're going to publish is it or some other dodgy story that kirkpatrick's doing to, to uh justify sort of knock out transmediums well yeah i mean if you think about your story they were riven weren't they i mean that showed you know the story about the conflicts of interest which i thought was really good what that fundamentally showed is they were all that implicated in what's been going on behind the scenes None of them could be counted to run Arrow in a straight manner because they were all implicated. And if you look at what's happening now, it's sort of almost imploding. I mean, you know, you can imagine how gutted I was to see Kirkpatrick go, can't you? You know, with all my supportive words I've made from over the years, you know, one man doing the work of three wise monkeys, you know what I mean? A single-handed, absolutely useless. I mean, when he said he'd achieved everything he set out to, I mean, I, I, I thought, here we go again, weasel words. I bet he has achieved everything he set out to. He's, that's why he's got this nice plushy job now, hasn't he? So, 
But I think he was a bit like a flak jacket that had been on a firing range for about two weeks and was just about near the end of its level. So I think he'd gone, really. His credibility had gone. That grush stuff was really hurting him. Other things were coming out, and I thought his position was becoming quite untenable, really. I mean, I thought, Jim, uh, when he put out that poor report, I mean, I was joking, but I wasn't really joking. I thought, this means he's going, this report. It was that bad. It was almost like a sort of, as I say, middle finger to everybody, you know? So anyway, uh, sorry, Chris, we just got us off. I thought I heard about, I thought you were going to say something then. Anyway, no, no, I, I just say with the report, it's, it's important to note that this is a, a product that is brought out in con consultation with um, the intelligence community and, and other agencies and offices as well. So Kirkpatrick, he could have like, you know, he could have like put like some really cool stuff in there, you know, but then it goes through that review, this one review, two reviews, yeah. three reviews, four reviews, and then all the goodies could get taken out. So, so you never, yeah. so you never know. Not that I'm sticking up for Kirkpatrick, but yeah, I'd say in terms of ownership of that report, you know, if you if you did like a really really good report, you know, you'd be yeah. like, I'm really proud of this and did a good, did, a good, did a good job. But then you, you know, had it over to review, and like each reviewer seems to take something out of it. Yeah, but if you even if you measure it by the yardstick of the other ones, it was still worse than them, wasn't it? So even yeah. given the crap anyway, that was even worse. I mean, but but you're right. I mean, the whole thing with those reports is the Congress, the Act mandated them to do a full report once a year of everything that was going on effectively, you know, within reason. And they chose to set the UAP task force model, which was just focused on sightings, and they've gone with that. There's no methodology. There's no discussion. So... They've been at it from the start to try and corral the report that the public gets. And I get what you're saying about that report, but I thought he didn't put any effort into it was yeah. the, was, was the no, point, yeah, really. And, you know, uh, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, 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 he didn't really put too, too much. too much. And I wondered if he, uh, if at the end, it's been pretty weird listening to him, really, because he sort of on the one hand, he did that political in interview saying, seeming to say it could be aliens, really. I don't know whether he's covering his bases there. Then he still said Grush was lying. So I, I wasn't quite sure if he jumped or was he pushed? Did the White House demand his removal? Uh, it was really weird. And I agree with you. I think Arrow is going to... So I think all this implosion, this press handling, all these things you're talking about, symptomatic of this department being more and more hemmed in because the position is becoming more untenable. And clearly the White House or other forces want to move forward with this in some way. And, and so they're becoming increasingly beleaguered. And I think you're right. And your article on this highlighted it ages ago. It will become a bit of a sideshow arrow. I mean, I think it'll be a little sideshow on the bigger thing, as you say, because the UAP architecture is all in that act, isn't it? The review board, it's like an agency. It, it can take over the role effectively. So, yeah, I, I was going to say one thing. I've heard consistently Carnell's going to replace uh, Kirkpatrick. Now, I know you can't come on that, Chris, if you knew either way. But, uh, that, and I've also heard that Carnell is actually working for the Presidential Task Force at the moment, which is quite interesting. Now, I don't know how true that is. But can you imagine if somebody like him was appointed? that Because I think whoever's head of Arrow is sort of emblematic for where they're going and where the UAP thing's going. But I think if they appointed somebody like Carnell, who's apparently, you know, he had all this military experience, apparently he's had first-hand sight of the craft, he's been involved in the legacy programs, etc. I, I wonder if he could, you know, would you need a more neutral figure, but what would it say? So 
it'll be I think who do you point next will be pretty important in terms of said tennis how things are going. But yeah, uh yeah, so Kirkpatrick's he's sort of as he's been in the job, he's as he's going, it's sort of symbolic of how the disclosure debate's going really. All a bit messy and muddy and we're not quite sure. But there you go. Anything you want to add there, Chris? I, I would just note that I don't want to give Kirkpatrick a free pass. You know, he said that he had access to all like the satellite data that he needed, but you know, I spoke to um, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency whether Arrow had access or had asked or utilized any of their data, and they were unable to confirm that with me. So I think that speaks volumes. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, an NGA yeah. would be the, the perfect place, you know, to actually like view this stuff. He never looked though, did he? I mean, that be, all those things that shows how useful what you're doing is because asking all those questions and they're giving all those clever answers. It was quite apparent from the way they were answering, but they weren't. He wasn't looking. That was the only way that could explain the answers. He wasn't looking. He could say he'd not seen any evidence simply because he hadn't looked. That's what I meant with a three wise monkeys joke, really. It, and, and I think there's been a case of that. He's been in there. He didn't want to know, like the interviews with the whistleblowers. He took no notes. They've done everything they can not to hear anything, and that's been the strategy all along. And it's one thing that's amazing is just the audacity of these people to think they can get away with this and people are so stupid. And I think, as I was saying on, I think the last pod me and Frank were doing, they're shooting themselves in the foot doing this because this is really, from my sense, I don't know what your sense is, Chris, it's really pissing people off, you know, annoying the, the uh, Congress people, the politicians and all the other people. So they might think they're being clever, but they're really just, I think, putting a nail in their own coffin carrying on like this. Yeah, I, I would just say that, you know, it seems in a way as well that Kirkpatrick has been put there and he gets all the flack and stuff like that. Goff gets all the flack and stuff, you know. But there are other people, you know, who are in positions of power um, that we should be questioning, um, you know, such as, you know, let's say, let's give one former example of someone who was in a high position, you know, um, Stephanie O'Sullivan, you know, she was uh, the former... Yeah. Um, uh, the former principal deputy director of national intelligence, which is now the role that Stacey Dixon has, who has oversight of the Arrow, you know, and she had um, affiliation, let's say, with the CIA's science and technology directorate, and she's been accused of having knowledge of a um, a UAP program. Uh, so, and, and she's she's tried denying it to um, to Rubio, you know, but um, I don't know how much he's buying it. But um, you know, and it does beg the question, you know, how many people within ODNI and DOD are compromised from their previous yeah. positions? Because you do a lot look at look at a lot of these people, and you see them affiliated with Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, the Aerospace Corporation, Lockheed Martin. You know, having previous roles with the CIA and places in the CIA that may have knowledge about that stuff. You know, and all sorts of other agencies as well you know and you do get the feeling that a lot of people within government are compromised you know and these are career people you know they view politicians a lot of them as temporary employees you know they didn't have a right to know um the stuff that they do you know and, and, and they think they're the big boss in town you know and it, th this is the problem that we have you know and, uh, and i point out that the odni was put together after september the 11th to ensure that you know that the intelligence organizations were cooperating and sharing data and that there was scrutiny as well that the um the director of national intelligence is sharing information with the president 
Now, if that position is compromised, that is a major, major issue that you've got there with an office that was supposed to solve these sort of issues. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it, it, oh, sorry, Frank, you carry it's, on, mate. It's very, very interesting points that you that you both bring up there. I mean, just going back to what you were saying, Chris. Certainly not again trying to cut, cut Patrick any slack, but just as as a thought experiment, let's just assume, for example, that that Kirkpatrick was really pro-disclosure or pro-transparency and desperately wanted to put information into that report that would get out to the public. And he did. He drafted a report and then he sends it off to whoever it needs to be signed off by and it goes through a couple of other people's you know, desks first before it ever gets published. Would it, even if he was really keen to get information out, could it even get out kind of thing? You know, what do you think that the actual processes are there? And I also think as well, just on a, a kind of a slightly separate point, but linked to it, is going back to what Dave was saying about like, is it that they actually don't have the accesses and that there's perhaps been a watering down of what resources are available to, the, you know, the, the government sort of UFO office as it's moved from like RSAP to ATIP to the UAP task force to the AOMSG all the way up to now? Is it that the, the actual accesses and the resources have been watered down as time's gone along and they've actually been kind of choked, you know, to, to not be able to get anything done? Or is it, again, just going back to even if Kirkpatrick really was pro-transparency, he's just got people breathing down his neck, not allowing him to ask the questions he even wants to ask. There's a, a lot of questions come up with the types of data that the that they have available to them. And again, the question there is like, do they actually have that data available? Can they get to it? Um, you know, or is it a case of they've had the accesses removed? And if they have got the access, are they just, you know, limiting the questions that can be asked by Kirkpatrick? Like two examples of that um, are the Nimitz case. Kirkpatrick has said very recently, pretty clearly, that they haven't got anything other than that video, but we know that other data actually exists. And that was confirmed in the 2022 hearing by Scott Bray, where he openly says very, very clearly that they have other data and it's not resolved, even after they've seen this other data. And another interesting one that's just cropped up over the last couple of days is um, Dr. Robert Jacobs, who's, um, you know, his case, he's actually one of the people who's actually given testimony to Arrow. And obviously, as we know, after that testimony, Kirkpatrick came out and said that they've got no credible evidence and so on. But it's come out very recently in an interview with Dr. Robert Jacobs on Matt Ford's Good Trouble show that apparently, and I, I don't think we've heard from Lou Elizondo about this, just a caveat, but apparently Lou Elizondo was able to actually see the original footage, which would suggest that that's yet another very interesting case where the footage actually exists. And perhaps Lou Elizondo in, during his time in OSAP or ATIP has actually been able to see that and if it's there, why has Kirkpatrick not gone after that? Why is he not bid? Because that would be credible evidence, wouldn't it? If you've seen the actual footage associated with the case, if it still exists. If Lou Elizondo was able to do that, why has Kirkpatrick not been able to do that? If Scott Bray has confirmed that the the Nimitz data is there, why has Kirkpatrick not been able to get that? Or is it that he can't get to it? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, there's a lot of questions there, isn't there? Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. I agree, I agree. Um, there's a lot more that's um, to be released yeah, on well, that case. I just I mean, point out that there's a difference between not having credible evidence and not looking for credible evidence. Well, that's uh, it. That the point. And also, like, no, no credible evidence of extraterrestrials and non-human origin. Well, 
that's not, not, not why I'm asking. Do you have materials of unknown origin in your possession? That's a question they can't answer. Yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. I mean, it's not as if Kirk Patrick, let's be honest, with all the different things, he's hardly been a man who wants to tell the truth, who's been, you know, cruelly stopped, has he? He's been spinning at every opportunity, twisting it round, saying no. He's been a willing participant in this. And the fact he had that legacy board on, which I cannot, couldn't believe that has not been followed up on more. You know, that's alleged legacy board. But he's reporting to, reporting his every move. It's just incredible. I mean, the big difference is, I think we can see, but the powers that be in the DOD would have continued doing this forever. And it's only that there's been a sea change. It seems to be there's been a sea change in the, in the administration that's going to allow this to go forward because this could have gone on for years, this. Because fundamentally, this was a battle between the, the account of accountability between the legislators and the executive or whatever. Uh, and that's what Lou went for, in my opinion. He knew the only way to unlock it was to go to use the political route. And that now seems to have uh, sort of won the day. I don't want to count my chickens for the hatched. But that's fundamentally what this is. And I think that that's the difference now. Now the Schumer legislation is through. Uh, that is the big way forward. That's almost like the sort of battering ram, but we'll break this down. But I, the arrogance of these people is just unbelievable. Uh, absolutely unbelievable. Well, we know for sure Dr. Shotgun Patrick is not going to be on Dave's Christmas list this year <laughs> <laughs> or, or many other people. But I think we'll move on to something upcoming um that that will be interesting obviously it'll be interesting to see what happens to our role what the you know new director brings to the table how everything moves forward as well um but this this particular thing that's coming up is the soul foundation i think it was mentioned a little bit earlier on but just to go into that um because that seems quite exciting quite interesting um so the soul foundation is like a new think tank type of group that's been established basically to look into various aspects of uap um, led by dr gary nolan uh, i think most people will be familiar with a professor in the department of pathology at stanford university school of medicine and also socio-cultural anthropologist dr peter scaffish I think I'm saying that right. Um, then, anyway, the, the Soul Foundation is gathering together the teams of world-class academics and government experts. Um, Charles McCulloch um, is actually part of this as well. He's involved, uh, who is the former Inspector General of the Intelligence Community and has been involved with uh, supporting uh, uh, David Grush's uh, legal campaign as well. And they have uh, a symposium, which is going to be on November the 17th to the 18th. Uh, at, I think it's actually at Stanford University itself. Um, and it's actually sponsored by Gary Nolan's laboratory. So, you know, I think uh, a bit of a pat on the back for for Gary Nolan. Not that he would be particularly appreciative of, of that from 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 somebody like a mere mortal like myself. But um, fair play to him for you know putting his money where his mouth is and essentially putting his reputation where his mouth is as well by gathering together you know everybody he can get his hands on. And they've got some really interesting speakers. Christopher Mellon's going to be there, I believe. Um, Charles McCulloch, Avi Loeb. Obviously, Gary Nolan himself will be there, uh, Diana Pasolka, Jacques Vallée, and there's been a few uh, lineup changes, actually, uh, I believe, as well. Um, I think um, 
Eric Davis is now not going to be there, but Hal Puttoff's going to be there. I think Luis Elizondo is going to be there. So it's kind of a who, who who's who of like really big names you would want to hear from. And just a quick update as well, because I'd mentioned this in my last episode. Um, it's an invite-only event, this, and there isn't a live stream option, unfortunately. When I did my last show, we weren't sure if recordings were going to be made available for those who don't attend. Uh, but now that's actually been cleared up by Gary Nolan who's actually confirmed that they are going to be releasing as much video as possible, um, hopefully uh, a week or so after the event, but I imagine it probably going a bit longer than that with editing and whatnot. Um, and um, uh, Gary Nowen himself actually has, has confirmed, uh, quote, we decided to give everyone a chance to review what they say and edit since we want people in the meeting to feel comfortable to speak freely. It will be out a week or so later. We want to do this right and not have everyone's comments or questions end up on social media before the session is even over. Locally, we, we will be operating under the Chatham House rule, which is an unspoken rule in many academic conferences where unpublished or non-peer-reviewed data might be presented. Um, unquote. And uh, basically, he goes on to say they're going to be as transparent as possible, but he does want to just give people the chance to review what they said before they put anything out. And uh, I think one of the latest updates, actually, is that Carl Nell, who has been oft discussed recently, uh, is also going to be uh, talking at this conference as well. I think he's specifically going to be talking about the Schumer uh, legislation, which is going to be quite interesting. Um, so... Um, have you got any thoughts on the Soul Foundation, Chris? And uh, I don't know if you've uh, heard much about Carl now. Seems to be getting talked about quite a lot. So it'll be interesting to to see what he has to say once his uh, speech eventually comes out. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the Soul Foundation is an excellent effort. So well done to um, to Gary and Peter for uh, for moving that forward. It's a credible organisation. Um, uh, I know that a lot of planning and a lot of hard work's gone into this um, conference that they'll be doing. And, um, yeah, I think there'll be some really, really interesting things to um, to come out of that, especially from the likes of um, Carl Nell, who we haven't heard so, so much from at the moment. And um, uh, these are serious people, you know, and um, I, think that, uh, I, I think that a lot of good things are going to be generated from this in terms of, like, news stories and stuff like that so um i'm really really looking forward to it um i wish i had access to like the media and stuff like that when it comes out and i can watch something live uh but unfortunately uh i i don't have access to that but um yeah yeah i think it's uh, it's a good driver um in terms of driving things forwards and um it will give us like a really credible um rational voice when it comes to this discussion so uh yeah, absolutely. I think we can expect some really, really big things from the Soul Foundation going forward, and I really, really look forward to this week. Yeah, I heard Chris is going to abseil down there at the start as a surprise guest. That's what I heard. You know, suit it up like one of the SAS role, do a bit of a combat role, and then you know, open the show. No, maybe not. But now we know, though, don't we, Chris? Now come, come. But it's a big event. Richard Butt's been dropping cryptic remarks about big things coming in November. Now, and I think that uh, one potential big place for big things to come is the Soul. Uh, I'm only pulling your leg, by the way, is the Soul Conference. But I do think this. I mean, there's a lot of people there. I mean, if you think about it, you've got all the who's who. You've, and I think you can split the speakers up into four. You've got sort of Mel and there's a fella called Bertie who does AI. I'll bet I'm not pronouncing it right. And uh, Tim, uh, what's his name? Goldet, who's the former admiral. They're all like about tracking. 
you know, tracking the craft and how you do that using AI and all the rest of it. You've got Diane Pasolka and Jack Vallee. They're talking about the nature of NHI and what is it really. You've got Avi Loeb talking about presumably astroarchaeology and all the rest of it. And a person called Beatrice Villaroes. And she was the person who spotted those, those objects in the 50s. There was nine of them and they disappeared in orbit. And they think they're actual crap. But that's like a science thing. And then you've got a core of people talking about uh, Nell, Keane, McCulloch, talking about the acts, the legacy programs and all that. So it's a really interesting mix of where it's going. And I cannot see this day passing without something uh, actually either coming before the conference, after it, during the conference. I've heard rumours that uh, there's a big case going to be announced there, but it's a new one. There may be other things, but I think, it's sort of crying out this for something to kickstart it. So I think it, I might be wrong. It might, even if it doesn't have any of that, it'll be a brilliant event and it'll set the course of things. And it's designed to mainstream a lot of these ideas. And I think as a stepping stone to funding based on the salt thing Gary Nolan did earlier. But I do think there's a few things might happen. Are you going to say something, Chris? Sorry. I would just say, look, Within the next five years, from my understanding, there's going to be a lot of aspects about the phenomena that we do not know yet. Yeah. Some will be very, very disturbing. Um, and I think it will make a lot of people question what they think they know, you know, what we've learned at school, um, what we've been told by academics and scientists and experts um i think lou alluded to it you know in his somber comments what what about if that isn't quite true what we understand to be our past what we understand to be reality that we live in um and i think there'll be some really, really good opportunities that come with it but there'll be some disturbing aspects to it as well so i think what you're seeing at the moment is you're seeing kind of the apparatus set up now um being set up and being built to actually help us navigate through through these kind of issues that we're going to actually increasingly face. And um, I think that you may see an acceleration of, um, of disclosure. Look, it's already happened. The acceleration has already happened, you know. If you go back in time two or three years ago, you will go months without any information or any new cases or any politician talking about it. And then if one person like mentioned it in one interview in terms of a politician, everyone would get excited and stuff. Well, we've accelerated well beyond there, you know, where we are now. It seems to be a new thing every day coming out. And I think um, it's going to go even further. And I think it's going to make a lot of people feel very, very uncomfortable, you know. And um, it involves religious institutions like the, the, the Catholic Church. It involves governmental institutions. But look, it's um, it's time, you know. It's time that the stuff come out of the bottle, and um, yeah, <laughs> it's, pretty, so it's quite unnerving in a way, isn't it? It's funny you mention that because if you think about it, last year or the year before, we had things like SCU and Ryan Graves' thing, and uh, even what's it called Galileo, who were like helping exploration. But now we're seeing organisations like Saul, Danny Sheehan's organisation, a couple of others that are almost like disclosure support organizations dealing with the very issues chris that you're talking about in a way so i think that it's quite profound that and if you listen to 
that interview Grush did. Uh, I mean, I know he did the one in Italy, which we might talk about, but the one he did with that newspaper guy, who I thought he was a little indiscreet, that newspaper guy, because Grush had obviously talked to him off the record, and I thought he was a bit too free. But he said that the big thing from Grush was that... Uh, the things about there's a lot of things going to come out like you said, Chris. Genetic manipulation, loads of other things that people are going to have to deal with. And they all said said there's going to be massive reveals, which Grush has been hinting at in various things. The pace is quickening, as it were, and we can sort of see again all the things aligning to that. And you're right, I suppose it changes from just thinking about it being interesting to having some quite profound implications. That we're certainly going to wrestle with. And I think, as I was saying, those four areas that they're dealing with in that Soul Foundation are quite interesting in terms of the four areas of the topic. Uh, but yeah, very good. I wouldn't just note in passing, and he said that Grulch, just to change it slightly, had a gun on his hip as he was interviewing him. I was thinking, now there's nervousness for you. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's real for him, isn't it, really? Even though he's in a fairly soft saying. But that's a bit of a distraction. I, I do think it's really interesting. Uh, these new organisations and, and, as you say, the, uh, the things that we're going to have to start wrestling with, you know, maybe next, as early as next year. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point that, you know, that, that phrase there of um, disclosure support organisations, it sort of feels as though we've kind of gone beyond the point of, like, getting to getting governments to actually admit that this stuff's real and, and starting to get to the stage where it does... Soul Foundation does seem a lot like a kind of more of a disclosure support. What is humanity going to need in terms of guidance once this stuff starts to actually come out? Let's get the people who are best placed to actually help with that to sort of start thinking about this now, you know. Um, and, and arguably, even if we're not going to have some kind of huge reveal in the next couple of years, it's surely sooner or later humanity are going to have to realise that you know, there's a lot we don't understand about this universe. Like you were saying, Chris, about the, the our understanding of the past. I mean, that's something that myself and Dave are quite interested in, the, the ancient civilizations. And, you know, the, every couple of weeks now, there's, there's new discoveries of really advanced, you know, evidence of very advanced technology being used to create pottery and structures and things like that and um there was only a couple of days ago i think it was um this new scientific paper into gun and padang which now dates it to i think it was about twenty five thousand years ago or something i'm yeah, not the, the figures to hand it was that um, unbelievable and even the, some of the most hardcore skeptics like michael Shermer, who's been a long-standing critic of Gary, uh, graham hancock you know posted a tweet fair play to him to be fair for, for doing so uh he posted a tweet saying, yeah, you know, basically now agree with Graham Hancock, you know, he's, he's kind of, he was right, you know, and, and this paper has absolutely proved that. And I think we're, we're starting to not only with UFOs, but there's other areas as well. Our understanding of what reality even is, our understanding of what happened in humanity's past, and also our understanding of whether or not we're alone in the universe. And, you know, at the end of the day, maybe those kind of support organizations like that disclosure not just of ufos but also those wider topics as well it's probably going to come in handy for us um quite fascinating to think about where we're headed isn't it i mean when when we all talked last year and said it was going to be a big year for ufos um it's probably surpassed i think even even our expectations this year and uh 2024 is going to be an exciting one but um any any uh, before we wrap up any any final thoughts you want to add chris um yeah yeah i just want to say that yeah just um again just going on that message i i think people should 
to brace themselves. You know, I, I think that some unnerving aspects will come out about this. And um, I look forward to the UK government um, catching up about this as well. So, uh, yeah, sorry. I, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's fun. Okay. Well, yeah, well, I think we need to we need to get going now for various reasons. Yeah, but I thought that yeah, it was great to talk to you, Chris. I really enjoyed that, and uh, I, think some, so much. I think some Thank of that you. that work you've been doing, mate, on the talking about the classification and and all the rest of it has really been important. Now it's a bearing fruit now from from two years ago to now. It's bearing fruit now to help us understand it, and it's really it's been great to talk to you. And I was finally thinking, think about medieval times when everybody thought it was God's will and that's how they saw the world. Now we see the world in science and we're all agnostic. There may be another change like that coming in the next, say, 10, 20 years of how we see things that's as profound. That's really made me think about that now as we're talking. So I really enjoyed it. Great conversation. So thank you both for having me on. Sorry, the wife is breathing down my neck. But I, I could <laughs> carry on having this conversation for another two hours. Let's do this again soon because there's so many more aspects I want yeah, to touch yeah, upon. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah great. And, and, and hey, thanks for your time, Chris. Really appreciate it. Pass on our thanks to, to, to your wife and uh, your little one as well. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> and, not, um, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have, have, a great, have a great evening and I look forward yeah. to catching up with you again soon. Thank man. you so much, guys. Okay. Take care. Yeah, we'll speak soon. UFO Podcast.